Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Right Home for Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Google's second-gen Nest Hub gets sleep tracking thanks to the Soli chip. Intel's 11th-gen desktop chip launches. Xi brings the hammer down on Chinese tech. And the craziest cell phone hack I've ever heard isn't a hack at all since it's in a nutso-butso unregulated gray area. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Google today announced its second-generation Nest Hub, and the big new feature is sleep tracking. The price tag on the new Nest Hub is $100. There's one of those new Soli radar chips inside it, so you can do things like playing and pausing media by just tapping in the air, and it's shipping March 30th. With that Soli chip, You can also just wave your hand in the air if you want to snooze an alarm that's going off, which is useful because, quoting 9to5Google, this second-gen Nest Hub has sleep sensing powered by the Soli technology that first debuted on the Pixel 4 and was later used in the new Nest thermostat for screen wake. Google set out to make sleep tracking, which is opt-in, more effortless and help people make nightly improvements. Sensors analyze your sleep based on movement and breathing, while also identifying disturbances, coughing, snoring, light fluctuations, and temperature changes that make an impact. Soli is an ideal technology for this purpose because it precisely tracks movement at both macro, limbs flailing, and micro, chest moving up and down as you breathe, levels. Soli is not a camera that can see or identify you, with the Nest Hub only generating movement graphs that, along with audio data, are processed locally and do not leave your device. Only high-level sleep occurrences slash events, such as number of coughs and snore minutes, are sent to Google, and the night's results can be easily deleted in the morning. Meanwhile, you can disable cough and snore detection, but retain sleep tracking. To use solely for this purpose, Google had thousands of people submit over 100,000 nights to create these sensing algorithms. Results were validated against sleep studies, as well as consumer and clinical-grade sleep trackers. Nest Hub's performance matched or surpassed those existing offerings. When you wake up in the morning, you can say, Hey Google, how did I sleep? Or tap the sleep summary button on screen. A graphic that uses overlapping circles will note duration, schedule, consistency, and the number of disturbances slash rest quality. The three-page Sleep Details View provides a granular breakdown. Quality uses timelines to note how much light was in your room and the temperature, which the Nest Hub now has a sensor for. At the moment, it's just for sleep tracking. Google will also identify snoring, coughing, and changes in light. The sleep bar notes when you're asleep and restless periods. There are weekly summaries to quickly see breaths per minute, RPM, the number of minutes you've snored, the cough count, etc. All this data syncs with Google Fit, as we reported, and can be seen on your Android or iOS device. The company worked with the American Academy of Sleep Medicine to provide sleep science and guidance to users. That said, it's, quote, not intended to diagnose, cure, mitigate, prevent, or treat any disease or condition, end quote. 
Besides showing your sleep stats, Google will analyze them to find issues and suggest actionable recommendations that are personalized to you. This might include setting up a relaxation routine and setting reminders. Over time, 14 or more days, the Nest Hub will understand your sleep patterns and recommend an ideal schedule. Sleep sensing will be available as a free preview until next year. Google has not yet determined how it will charge users since Fitbit, which offers a premium subscription, was only recently acquired. It's exploring how best to integrate with the existing sleep tracking features. Plenty of warning will be given if there are changes, end quote. Intel's 11th gen desktop chips, better known as Rocket Lake S, have launched with the flagship Core i9-11900K, sporting eight cores, two less than the last gen, boosted clock speeds of up to 5.3 gigahertz, support for DDR4 RAM at 3200 MHz, a total of 20 PCIe 4.0 lanes, and backwards compatibility with Intel's 400 series chipsets. So, basically, faster speeds, but fewer cores, quoting The Verge. Eagle-eyed Intel fans might notice that the new chip is, on paper, actually a downgrade from last year's top model, the Core i9-10900K, which offered 10 cores and 20 threads, and a similar boosted clock speed of 5.3 GHz. That's because Intel is debuting a new desktop core architecture for the first time in over half a decade with its 11th gen Rocket Lake S chips called Cypress Cove. Cypress Cove finally replaces the Skylake microarchitecture, which the company has been using since its 6th gen chips in 2015. But the Cypress Cove design isn't actually a whole new microarchitecture, it's actually Intel's Willow Cove chip designs and technologies that the company has been using on its 11th gen 10 nanometer Tiger Lake chips, which Intel is backporting to its 14 nanometer production process. Since those designs were meant for 10 nanometer chips, though, Intel is limited in the number of cores it can fit when scaling them up to a 14 nanometer size, hence the reduction in core count year over year. But Intel still says that the new chips will offer better performance, at least in some cases, than the 10th gen, with the core architecture enabling up to 19% IPC instructions per cycle than the previous generation. Intel's argument here is effectively that sheer core count isn't enough on its own. Frequency, speed, and performance matters too, and thanks to the maturity of the 14 nanometer production process, Intel is very good at cranking out every last drop of performance from these chips." End quote. In other words, paraphrasing Hayam Gartenberg, who I was just quoting from, the best parts of Intel's 14 nanometer process with its 10 nanometer designs. Dropbox says Dropbox Passwords, a password management tool introduced for businesses last year, will now be free for basic Dropbox accounts starting in April. There is a catch, however. You'd better not have more than 50 passwords. As The Verge says, that arbitrary password limit seems suspiciously like a brute force way to upsell you to becoming a paid member, quoting The Verge. Now that LastPass is putting a device limit on its free plans, many are looking for a free alternative, and Dropbox passwords will indeed allow you to sync your passwords across three devices for free. Like other password managers, it exists as a web browser extension, a mobile app on iOS and Android, and desktop applications on macOS, Windows, and Linux. But other free password managers like Bitwarden 
offer unlimited passwords for free. The 50-password limit might only make sense if you don't have a lot of online accounts. Grandparents come to mind. I think it would be very hard to find someone who uses both Dropbox and doesn't have a stack of passwords numbering in the hundreds, and it's not like it costs Dropbox more money to store double, triple, or quadruple the number of passwords. We're talking about text, not multi-gigabyte videos. If you're already using a free Dropbox account for other files, you're probably storing things that are already far larger than all the passwords you'll ever use in your lifetime. Still, it might be a worthy introduction to better password security for existing Dropbox users, and if you're already paying Dropbox $11.99 per month for a Plus account, or $19.99 per month for a professional account, though here's a good reminder that Dropbox passwords exist, and you can easily give it a try. Dropbox plans to allow users to securely share passwords to other accounts at some point in the future, too, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Chinese state broadcasters have announced that that country's top leader, Xi Jinping, has officially ordered regulators to increase oversight of internet companies to crack down on monopolies, enhance data security, and promote fair competition. Quoting Bloomberg, 
China's top leader warned that Beijing will go after so-called platform companies that have amassed data and market power, a sign that the months-long crackdown on the country's internet sector is only just beginning. President Xi Jinping on Monday chaired a meeting of the Communist Party's top financial advisory and coordination committee, ordering regulators to step up oversight of internet companies. The unusually strongly worded comments from Xi and his lieutenants suggest Beijing is preparing to amplify a campaign to curb the influence of its largest and most powerful private corporations which has so far centered mainly on Jack Ma's Alibaba Group holding and its affiliate Ant Group. The term platform economies could apply to a plethora of mobile and internet giants that offer services to hundreds of millions, from ride-hailing behemoth Didi Choshing to food delivery giant Meituan and e-commerce leaders like JD.com and Pinduoduo, end quote. Meanwhile, the Financial Times is reporting that Huawei, Xiaomi, Tencent and other Chinese internet companies are removing Alibaba's popular UC browser from their app stores following Xi's warning of a crackdown. Quote, The effort against UC browser came after a program on state-owned broadcaster CCTV targeted the tech industry on China's Consumer Rights Day, an annual event when the channel investigates alleged malpractice and documents the findings on a primetime show. This year's program included a segment on misleading online medical advertising. UC Browser was shown to allow private hospitals to bid for the names of China's large, well-known hospitals in keyword searches, leading potential patients to their websites instead of the public hospitals they intended to visit. Most of China's Android app stores, including those operated by Chinese technology groups Huawei, Xiaomi, and Tencent, have blocked downloads or removed the browser. Having an app taken down for a period of time is a common punishment in China for companies deemed to have broken the rules. UC C-Web, the Alibaba unit that operates the browser, apologized for the illegal adverts and pledged to strengthen oversight of the app, end quote. And finally, what of the company that was first in the crossfire when all of this started to go down? Remember when we said yesterday that Stripe was maybe the most successful Silicon Valley startup ever? with a private valuation nearing $100 billion? Well, remember that before the plug was pulled, Ant Group had been slated to have the largest IPO of all time anywhere, with an expected valuation in the $315 billion range. Now, sources are telling Reuters that investors in a chastened Ant Group have cut their private valuations of the company to just the $200 billion range. Quote, The number is about a third above Ant's valuation after its last fundraising in 2018 when it emerged as the world's most valuable unlisted tech firm, yet is far below the $315 billion it touted for what was set to be the world's largest IPO. Ant is changing its corporate structure to that of a financial holding firm, following regulatory pressure to subject it to rules similar to those for banks. The financial technology giant was regarded as a tech firm in 2018 when it raised $14 billion at a valuation of about $150 billion in the world's largest single fundraising. With the earnings impact of the revamp unknown, one investor said it valued Ant at about the same as the 2018 fundraising. Another said it marked its Ant investment at cost, meaning it does not see any return for the time being." A hacker apparently paid a company called Sakari $16 to reroute a reporter's text messages and then use SMS two-factor authentication to break into that reporter's various accounts. Let me be clear, this is not simjacking. Today I learned you can just pay a company to reroute someone else's texts. Quoting Motherboard. 
This overlooked attack vector shows not only how unregulated commercial SMS tools are, but also how there are gaping holes in our telecommunications infrastructure with a hacker sometimes just having to pinky swear they have the consent of the target. Quote, welcome to create an account if you want to mess with it. Literally anyone can sign up. Lucky225, the pseudonymous hacker who carried out the attack, told Motherboard, describing how easy it is to gain access to the tools necessary to seize phone numbers. Fortunately, Lucky225 was taking over my number and breaking into the connected accounts with my permission to demonstrate the flaw. This also doesn't rely on SS7 exploitation, where more sophisticated attackers tap into the telecom industry's backbone to intercept messages on the fly. What Lucky225 did with Sakari is easier to pull off and requires less technical skill or knowledge. Unlike simjacking, where a victim loses cell service entirely, my phone seemed normal, except I never received the messages intended for me, but he did. Once the hacker is able to reroute a target's text messages, it can be trivial to hack into other accounts associated with that phone number. In this case, the hacker sent login requests to Bumble, WhatsApp, and Postmates, and easily accessed the accounts." End quote. How is this possible, you might ask? I encourage you to read the entire piece for a first-person account of how this went down. But in a world where SMS sign-up or authentication or login is more common than ever, this seems especially problematic, quoting again. As for how Sakari has this capability to transfer phone numbers, Noel from Security Research Labs said, quote, there is no standard global protocol for forwarding text messages to third parties. So these attacks would rely on individual agreements with telcos or SMS hubs, end quote. In Sakari's case, it receives the capability to control the rerouting of text messages from another firm called Bandwidth, according to a copy of Sakari's LOA obtained by Motherboard. Bandwidth told Motherboard that it helps manage number assignment and traffic routing through its relationship with another company called NetNumber. NetNumber owns and operates the proprietary centralized database that the industry uses for text message routing, the Override Service Registry, OSR, Bandwidth said. The flow of the capability to reroute text messages is similar in some ways to the cell phone location data market where telecommunications giants such as T-Mobile, AT&T, and Sprint sold access to their customers' location data to a series of aggregators who then in turn resold that access to other companies. And along with that transfer of the location data access, each company also pushed the need to obtain consent down to the company below it, resulting in wide room for abuse. In 2019, Motherboard reported on how we paid a bounty hunter source $300 to gain the location of a phone to demonstrate the issue, with the target phone not receiving any sort of text message or voice call to confirm they had provided consent to be tracked. Verizon introduced its own consent mechanism, where it forced at the carrier level a targeted phone to receive a text message to confirm the owner consented to sharing their location data. That practice of delegating the need to obtain consent to other companies also applies to this latest issue of text messaging routing. In this case, Sakari asked Lucky225 to sign an LOA to confirm they had the authority to take control of Motherboard's phone number, but at the time, Sakari did not send any sort of message to the target number to confirm whether the user consented to the transfer. Bandwidth said it was the responsibility of the retail service provider, which in this case was Sakari, to obtain consent. Quote, while text message forwarding might have legitimate applications for business, the particular implementation underpinning this attack is appallingly weak in security and data privacy. Telcos have different ways of authenticating their customers, obviously including text messaging. The fact that none 
none of these authentication methods are used in this case to get consent from the owner of a forwarded phone number is shocking, Noel added, end quote. Yeah, again, to sum up what happened here, just to underline how insane this is, you can right now pay a company less than 20 bucks, have someone else's text messages forwarded to you, and all you have to do is sign a letter, basically pinky swear, saying you have consent to receive these messages, and these companies don't do anything to verify that consent with the original end user. That seems pretty, pretty terrible to me. Thanks to all those who participated in our Twitter Spaces experiment last night. Unfortunately, my attempt to screen record the proceedings was a fail. If anyone managed to record it, please reach out and get me the file. Also, did anyone have trouble seeing or getting into the space? Because the number of people in the space seemed to hold pretty steady the whole two hours we were live, but I saw a ton of folks come and go without the overall numbers fluctuating, suggesting that... Twitter might have set a number for the room and kept it at that number. The only way to know for sure is if any of you didn't see the room, though you were looking for it, or tried to get into the room but couldn't, or I'm sorry, space. So if that is you, get in touch and let me know. Clubhouse caps their rooms at five to 7,000 people, and this felt like it was always around, I don't know, 70 to 90, but... Much more people than that came through the room over the time it was open. Again, space, sorry. Anyway, thanks to those of you that participated. Talk to you tomorrow.